If you have a Bible, you're welcome to follow along. There's one in the pew. We're going to be in Acts 12. We're going back to our series on Acts for a little while. We took a break for Christmas. And I'm excited to be back because today uh, we got a very important subject that we're going to learn about, and that is prayer. Uh, anyone just want to testify their prayer life could use a little work? Okay, good. We got some good prayers in here. Everyone has that up there. I, I, um, I honestly, uh, I'm not always keen on prayer like I wish I was. I, I, I um, often spend more time on my phone watching TV, playing Mario Kart now, um, just wasting time than I do in prayer. Um, sometimes when I sit down to pray, I start to think about other things like basketball games that are coming up or soccer games, and um, just got a very short attention span. Um, some might call me ADD, all right? Uh, so my mind starts to wander. Uh, but honestly, I think probably what affects my prayer life more than anything is sometimes I don't think it matters. I have this theology that kind of guides my prayer life that, well, God's sovereign. He's going to do His will. Why do I need to pray for it? Anyone think that way? Anyone have that issue? Um, what's the point of praying if He's just going to do His will? That's a question I've struggled with at times in my life. But I've also noticed that when I do pray, God hears them and He answers my prayer. I do think at some point in our Christian walk, though, every Christian deals with or wrestles with that question, what is the point of prayer? Why am I supposed to pray? Is it necessary? Does it really work? Am I just praying to some magical, mystical person in the sky? Am I talking to the Creator? There's a great quote James Gilmore said. He said, there's a great feeling that when a man is praying, he's doing nothing. And this feeling makes us give undue importance to work or to that work sometimes even to the hurrying over or even the neglect of prayer. If that resonates with you, I hope that you'll listen today to this passage because Acts 12 reminds us of the power of prayer. I'm sure there's been times in your life when you prayed for something and you felt like it was a waste of time or maybe you didn't feel like God answered it the way you thought He should. Maybe you have fallen into the trap of using meaningless, repetitious words well, today we're going to learn again about the power of prayer. And when we pray, we move the hand of God. Now, there is times in their scripture it talks about that if we have cherished sin in our heart, the Lord will not hear. And if you're not a believer in Christ, it is talking just meaningless repetition. Prayer is a gift God gives us as children of God. As followers of Christ, when we become a Christian, He allows us to enter into His presence. And what a gift it is to talk to the Creator of the universe, the one who made me and His image, and to give this opportunity to share my concerns, to share my thoughts. It is a gift. And it should be looked at as a gift, but also as a tool. I don't know why, but I don't always get how God answers me. But I know He hears my prayers. Ian Bounds said it best when he said, the more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, and the mightier the forces against evil everywhere. I, I mean, I know, I'm looking around. I've talked to many of you. I've seen some of what you post on Facebook. I know many of you are upset with what's going on in the world. And I know many of you are dealing with things that you wish you weren't dealing with. God has given us a tool to fight back. It's prayer. And Ian Bounds said, the more praying there is in the world, the better it will be. 
And I believe one of the reasons this world stinks right now and is awful right now is because the church has neglected its opportunity to pray. What we see here in the book of Acts, and we're in Acts chapter 12, so we're 11, 8, the 12th chapter, we're, we're getting into it. God has built the church. Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit has given power to the apostles, to the disciples, and we're seeing the church grow daily, right? It's rapidly grown because of the work that God is using the church to do. The church, we saw the birth of the church, and now we see it to the point where it's expanded, but it's facing persecution. And in Acts chapter 12, it feels like it's hit a plateau or a wall because now it is expanded to the Gentiles, but we start to see that even the Gentiles are coming against the church. But in Acts chapter 12, we see how prayer comes in and continues to build the church and it continues to grow in the midst of awful persecution. God uses and shows the church how prayer works. So let's follow along, read the story. It starts in Acts 12. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Here we see more persecution on the church. It's nothing new. Since the church started growing in Jerusalem, they encountered persecution, mostly in Jerusalem from the Jews. The Jews didn't like the threat that they had. So in Acts chapter 7, as they see the church grow to a point where they, um, their, their power is being taken away. In Acts chapter 7, we see that they take a prominent member of the church, a deacon named Stephen, and they stone him to death. But that didn't stop the church. That actually caused the church to scatter all over regions of Israel. So they go to Samaria, they go to Judea, and now to Antioch, and they continue to spread the gospel message, and the church grows. And, and so from Acts 8 to Acts 12 here, three big things happen to the church, or to the gospel message, to the kingdom of God. In chapter 9, we see that one of them, or chapter 8, one of the most prominent Jews who led the church against, uh, who led this charge against the church to arrest Christians and to wipe them off the face of the earth, his name was Saul, he becomes a Christian. He becomes one who says, I'm going to kill all Christians too. you got to become a Christian. God changed his life that drastically. It was amazing what God was doing. He is the last apostle. We're going to hear about him a lot more in the chapters to come, okay? Second, what happened was the apostle Peter, remember the one who spoke at Pentecost, who gave the message and thousands came to Christ that day and the church of Christ was born because of his message and God used him, the one who denied Christ and now is walking with Christ and telling everyone to become a Christian. He was a leader in the church. He's called, and he has a vision to go to Caesarea, an Italian region, and meet a man named Cornelius, and leads his entire family to the Lord, showing us that the gospel now is not just for Jews, but for Gentiles, that we're not saved by following culture or tradition. We're not saved by works and what we do. We're saved by the grace of God through faith. In fact, let me just stop there, because if you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, it's not based on what you do, it's based on what Christ did. You just believe in Jesus, and you are saved. And when we say saved, you get to go to heaven. You, you need to accept Jesus, believe in Him. And that's what we have learned so far. And third, the gospel then reaches past Caesarea, because this is a message to the Jewish Christians who had converted from Judaism now to Christianity. Again, this is not conversion to a different religion. This is 
from the mission, from the beginning, God's mission. Here, he creates the world. He gives the message to the Jews. The Jews think they're special, but no, from the beginning, it was for all people, okay? They didn't think they were converting to a new religion. They were following the plan of God. And we see that go out outside of the Jewish realm to, to Caesarea, but then to Antioch, which is a Gentile region, which is why we call this the Lord of the Gentiles. And again, it shows us that it's not about works, salvation. It's about grace through faith. And so with these three lessons, the church continues to grow and expand. But even though God's breaking down the barriers... Jesus becomes a threat even to the Gentiles. Because when you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you have to commit you're not. And so that means you're not God. You surrender to God. You accept Him. And people don't want to surrender their lives. They want to be who they are. And so we see the Jews persecuting Christians. But now we start to see in Acts chapter 12, the Gentiles start persecuting Christians. And in this case, we meet a man named Herod. Heard that name before if you have any Bible background. You see, here's the story of Herod. King Herod that we're talking about here is actually the grandson of Herod the Great. Now, and in case you don't know who Herod the Great is, let me give you some history here. And about 63 B.C., before Christ, about 60 years before he comes, when Rome took control of Judea, they, they appointed a ruler or a king to oversee the Jews, to keep them under control. So at a point when Jesus came into the world, there was oppression from the Roman government. Jews were under their oppression. And the, the ruler at that time that they appointed was this man named Herod. He becomes known as Herod the Great. Okay? Um, or no, I'm sorry. The one they appointed had a son named Herod who would eventually become Herod the Great. I should say it that way. So as Herod grew to be a young man, he left his father's home, he went to Rome, and he persuaded the Romans to appoint him to oversee the Palestine region. And he then would go out and he would oversee this region mostly of Jews. And if you remember anything about him, he was the one who ordered all the killing of the babies in Bethlehem after Jesus was born. Why? Because anyone who became a threat to his rule, he wanted dead. Herod the Great was a hypocrite. He was a liar. He was a coward. He was just an evil man. Jews hated him, obviously, because he was just all those things. And he tried to earn Jewish support, but they hated him. When Herod the Great died, he divided his kingdom into three regions, and he gave each of those regions uh, to one of his sons. The first was the northern part, the Galilean region. He gave that to his son, Herod Atypus. Herod Atypus is the one who would behead John the Baptist later. So you got all these Herods, so you're like, which one's which, right? The other region was a southern part, the Judea Samaria. That was his given to his son, Archelaus, and we'll get to him in a minute. And then the north and east region was Lake Galilee to his son, Philip. Now, when Archelaus, he was cruel as well and unjust to the people, and the Jews hated him. And when he basically died, they took his, before he died, they took his region from him, and the Samaritans and Judeans came against him, and they actually started to instead give rule to governors or procreators, which is where Pontius Pilate comes in. All right, I know this is all, you say, why are you telling me all this? Because here's what's going on. In this brief time in history, eventually what happens here now, it's about 33, 35 A.D., 
Herod Agrippa comes into the world. Herod Agrippa was born years before. He was Herod the Great's grandson. And he really wanted the Jews to like him because Herod the Great couldn't, Herod Antipas couldn't. So Herod Agrippa's like, I want the Jews to like me. And so what's he do? It says here that he mistreats the Christians. And it pleased the Jews that he would mistreat the Christians. And he takes one of those Christians, James, he was one of the disciples, the brother of John, and he's the first apostle martyred, and all we hear is he put him to death by the sword. He beheaded him. So we hear this persecution now coming from outside the Jewish realm, and here's what we read in verses 3 and 4. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded then to arrest Peter also. During the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized Peter, or him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So you can read between the lines, his intention here was to kill Peter. He's already killed James, that pleased the Jews. He arrests Peter, he puts him, he says, as soon as the Passover feast is over, we're going to kill Peter. He's going to bring him out and behead him in front of everyone. Now, Imagine being in the church those days. Imagine the feelings of helplessness that you have and hopelessness. You have waited for a Messiah for years to end the Roman oppression in your life. And you believe that when that Messiah comes, that that would end your oppression. But instead it intensifies. Because now you believe the Messiah has come, but the persecution's still there and it's way worse. To the point where you have to leave your home in Jerusalem and spread to cities like Antioch and Judea and Samaria. And then you get there and you find out that they're killing your leaders. And once you have someone like Herod who is power hungry, they don't stop. They get James, they're going to get Peter. Guess who they're coming for next? Right? Can you imagine that feeling of, it's a scary time. Herod is a major threat to the church. In their mind, they longed for that day, but it was gotten worse. So now what? So Peter was kept in prison. What happens? But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. Verse 5, they gathered to pray. Here's the first lesson. I hope that we see this. God often brings, and I'm not saying he'll, I'm not saying he brings. God often allows persecution or suffering in our lives to bring us together, doesn't he? To bring us back to him. To bring the church together. That's what happens. Suffering, although uncomfortable, often brings us back to the Lord. It reminds us that we can't do it without Him. It reminds us of our dependence on Him. And in this case, the suffering and the persecution brought the church together for fervent prayer. They started having prayer meetings. Well, what is prayer? Prayer is simply talking to God. Just like I'm talking to you right now, you can have a conversation with God. It's bringing one's request to God. And they are coming together to ask God to protect His church and His people. They are asking God to continue to advance the gospel. Now here's the thing. As Christians, when you become a follower of Christ, you become a child of God. And here's the point that I hope you'll hear. God expects you to pray. It is a command, but it is not just any command. It is a command of love. Think of all the verses in the Bible where he expects his people to pray. I talked about it at the beginning. He said, well, what's the point of it? He expects you to pray even if you don't understand the point of it yet. 
Look what he says, Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray. He expects it. That's when you pray. Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray continually without ceasing. Here's a good one for you. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. When you're anxious, what's that? It's a mind then. When you're worried about something, it's a cue. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, give your request to God. Make it known to Him. God expects His children to pray, and it's a command of love. Just like a parent wants to communicate with his children. God desires to communicate with us. And here's the other thing, and bless us. How does he bless us? The number one blessing is being in his presence. You have a relationship with him. And he encourages us to pray by blessing us when we do. Look what Jesus said in Acts 7. It goes on in Acts 6. He says, when you pray, and he gives us all these cues, and then he gets to Acts 7, he shows us, he says, here's what he says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And then he gives this awesome illustration. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? You give your kids what they wanted for Christmas? Oh, right. Of course you did, because you love your kid. What if you ask for a fish? Do you give him a snake? That would be a cruel joke, right? Will you? Will you? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Do you see the relationship that He's desiring with us through prayer? He wants us to bring these requests to him. And he teaches us here that when you pray, when you ask, you receive. And if we know this and we've heard this, why is it that we don't gather more often to pray? May I suggest a few reasons? Number one, we're lazy. We're lazy. Some of you are like, no, I'm busy. No, you're lazy. You make time for things that are important to you, things that matter. And if you're not making time to pray, can I just suggest that maybe you don't think prayer matters? How about lack of discipline? Not only are you lazy, but we lack self-discipline at times. Look, when I'm talking to you, I'm going to beat you up a little bit, but I'm, trust me, I've already beat myself up this week on this same message. So you deserve a little bit of this as well, okay? All right. We lack self-discipline. We spend hours on our phones, on social media, on tablets, doing meaningless work and neglect the power of prayer in our life. We lack discipline. An act of prayer life is an act of discipline. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's not for the lazy. We need to spend time in prayer. We don't set the time aside to pray. It often does take something drastic in our life, some type of suffering, some type of thing to bring us back, to show us the importance of prayer. And again, I'm not saying that God brings persecution in our lives because he wants us to pray more, but I, I'm not even sure that's theologically correct, right? But I do think in this broken world, God allows some things in our lives to remind us of how much he loves us, how much we need him, and he humbles us. So in my understanding, God allows some suffering in our lives that we'll call on Him. And when suffering comes and persecution comes, hopefully the first place we go is to God. I mean, He tells us in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people were called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, 
Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. He expects us to pray, but he encourages us to pray. And at times he gets our attention so that we will pray and call on him. I think the last reason, and I mentioned this at the beginning, that we don't pray is because we don't believe it works. Can I tell you, God said to me as I prepared this message this week, I see the world that we live in. Evil is reigning right now. Liberalism grows all around us, and the church has neglected the power of prayer, thinking that we somehow have the power to change it by voting or doing something else. And yes, we should take that obligation and responsibility and to vote and to do the things that we're supposed to do. But most importantly, the most important thing we can do is pray. If I don't get an amen, I better get some ouches. Because honestly, we need to pray. He says, you humble yourself, pray, seek his face, repent of your wicked ways. Then we will hear. Prayer's the most powerful thing you do. And can do. I'm going to pick on Patrick right now. You guys know Patrick? Of course you know Patrick. Little Patrick. Often I pick Patrick up, talk to Patrick. You know what Patrick says to me? He's outside right now at the tent, I think. I wish I could do more. That's what he says to me. And and when I think of uh, Patrick in our church, I look at Patrick as one of the most powerful people in our church because he spends so much time in prayer. You know that when you get a card from this church. You know who writes that? Patrick. And he's praying for you as he's writing that. And I'm picking on him because, honestly, he's the biggest warrior we have in this church. Nothing would have been accomplished without Patrick praying for it in the first place. And we need to be. And I'm convicted of that. I'm convicted as a church that we have neglected. I've actually felt that conviction this week that we don't take enough time to pray. We don't spend enough time together in prayer. Listen, when we pray, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. God answers and hears prayers. And we see it right here in this passage. Look what happens. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. You see how (laughs) hopeless this is for Peter? Two guards. Guards with him in front of the door, watching over the prison. He's in chains. Tomorrow morning, he's about to die. Just like James. And then like a scene from Robin Hood or Three Musketeers, look what happens. Behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter's side and woke him up. Peter's asleep. I'm like, I know if I'm about to get killed the next day, I don't think I'm going to be sleeping but it shows the peace that he has. Which probably tells me Peter was praying too at some point. The angel wake him up and said, get up quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself, put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow, and he did not know what was being done by the angel. It was real. But though he was seeing a vision... And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate and that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And then he went out and went along one of the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, what? 
Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. What an amazing story. I love how he goes to Mary's house. The church is gathered praying. You can say, well, it didn't matter if they were praying or not. If God would have done what he wanted to do, right? I can't accept that right now. I believe God heard their prayers and he saved Peter. The reason I believe that is for a few reasons. Number one, I've seen the power of prayer in my own life. I can tell you I've seen God answer prayers in amazing ways. Maybe not as dramatically as this. but I've seen some pretty dramatic things happen. I could tell you story after story. I could get some uh, Melissa and Vicki up here to tell you story after story of how we didn't know how we were going to pay some bills at this church, and all of a sudden the check came in. Or I could tell you story after story of my own personal life and how God has taken care of me at times when you thought, I've seen God heal the sick. I've seen God do some amazing, amazing thing through the power of prayer when this church is gathered together. I've been in this church 35, 40-plus years now. God answers prayers. And I'll tell you else, it's consistent with Scripture. If nothing, this didn't just happen one time. And if this is like a one-time occurrence in Scripture, we could just like, let's chalk that up to coincidence. But it's not. Jesus said, ask me anything and it will be given to you. He said, seek and you will find. In James 5.16, he tells us the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. Remember when Abraham prayed unto God? God healed Abimelech. I hope I'm saying that right, right? And his wife and his maidservants. Their children. Remember when Jonah was swallowed by a great fish and he was in that fish and he prayed? Remember what happened? God spit him out. Remember when Pharaoh in the book of Exodus cursed God? But you know what? Every time he cursed God and a plague came, even Pharaoh believed in the power of prayer because he would go to Moses and say, could you petition your God to bring this plague to an end? Moses would intercede for him and he entreat for the Lord in his favor. God would remove that famine or that plague. How about Hezekiah, gravely ill, on his deathbed, says he's going to die. He prays. God gives him 15 more years. See, in the Bible, prayers of the saints subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire escaped the edge of the sword from weakness, were made strong. It waxed the mighty in in war, and it turned the enemy away in war. God promises us when we pray, we call upon him that he will hear and he will answer. Now you may ask now, you may say, well, if God answers prayer, why is there so much evil in this world still? And at times I've prayed and I haven't felt God answer, and there's a couple reasons for that. I'll give you just one real quick. Many prayers are answered in ways we cannot see in the material realm. You see, prayer involves communication in the spiritual realm with the creator of the universe, right? And so many prayers are therefore answered in ways different than what we ask for. But if we're vigilant and continue to seek God, we will find that his ways are better than our ways. We don't pray as we should either. And that's the second reason. We don't pray enough. Sometimes we pray selfishly, as James tells us, don't do. And other times we aren't patient enough to continue to bring our requests before God. 
Ian Bounds said it this way. I think Christians fail so often to get answers to their prayers because they do not wait long enough on God. They just drop down and say a few words and then jump up and forget, it, forget about it. And they expect God to answer them. But you know the number one reason I think God, guys, we, we don't see the power in prayer? I don't think we've ever been taught how to pray. And I have neglected to teach you guys that. In the little bit of time I have left, I want to teach you. So if you are not taking notes, this will be the time to take notes because I'm going to teach you three principles of prayer that you should learn and that you should try to grasp. Whoever taught you how to pray? You ever thought about that? Right? Well, here's three quick lessons that encourage you to strive to try it out this week, to, to learn to pray. And hopefully this will not just infect your prayer life this week, but for years to come. Here's some, here's some things. Number one, if you're discouraged by the command to pray because you felt like you don't know how to pray, well, take heart because prayer is something that we must learn. And here's how we learn. You pray because you don't learn without praying, right? We'll get to that. You meditate on Scripture. And then you pray together because you learn with each other. As iron sharpens iron, so is one man sharpen another. And since you're here today, you've already got that third step down. You're learning to pray together. See, much like a child needs to be taught how to read, we need to be taught how to pray. Even the disciples asked Jesus in Luke 11, 1, teach us to pray. So here's what we read in Scripture. Remember this. When we pray, here's how we're supposed to pray. We are to pray for the glory of God not selfishly. We are to pray in His will, by faith, in the name of Jesus, with persistence, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. We pray for the glory of God, in His will, by faith, in the name of Jesus, with persistence, and under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now with that in mind, here's three lessons. Number one, the first way you learn to pray is you pray. Think about it. You learn a new language. How do you learn a new language? You speak it. You want to learn how to play a sport, what do you do? You practice it. You want to learn how to play an instrument, you play it. Everything we learn in life is by doing. Reading a book on the subject, listening to a teacher on something, or even watching a YouTube video nowadays has got me pretty far, right? But it can only get you so far. The only way you actually learn to do anything is to actually do the task yourself. And the same is true with prayer. If you want to learn how to pray, you've got to start praying. Start talking to God. And as you pray, the Lord teaches you how to pray for His glory and His will. He shows you His will. How do I know the will of God? Talk to Him about it. He changes, He's often changed my will to His will through prayer. John 16, 13. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you in all truth. He develops this habit of praying in us and he encourages us to pray and as we do that he builds our prayer life he changes how we pray he shows us how to pray but it takes time you don't learn something overnight so if i could encourage you to do anything this week just as you probably have set a time aside a day to do something like exercise or work or read Put in your calendar a time of the day where you will set aside to pray. Now, start with five minutes. Some of you guys are guys like, man, I could do five minutes, right? And then you get through it and you start praying. You're like, look down at your watch. I got two more minutes to go, <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't worry. Just keep going with it. 
Keep trying. But as you set aside a time to pray, God will start to teach you and work through you. Second, this is so important, okay? Meditate on Scripture. What do you mean by that? See, one of the best things you can do in your prayer time is read the Bible, listen to Scripture, and then meditate on it or think about it throughout the day. See, as you do this, you find a Bible verse. As you're reading, you say, well, that, I'm not really sure what that's saying, but let me think about it even more. Let me dwell on it even more and meditate on it. Meditation is when you dwell on something and you're dwelling on God, and you're dwelling on what He's teaching you through His Word. So the process works like this. We read the Bible. We hear a particular passage or verse that speaks to us. We think about it. We digest it into our heart and soul, and we speak to God about it. God, show me what this verse means. See, meditation then becomes this middle sort of duty between Bible reading and prayer. See, the Word feeds meditation, and meditation feeds prayer. You see how that works? They go together like... Sorry. That's how we learn to pray as we read Scripture. And when the Bible, as we read, prayers like, if we don't meditate on Scripture, or we don't have any Bible reading during our prayer time and meditation, then prayer is like going to the gym and just looking at the equipment or watching someone else work out. Right? And, and that's kind of what happens here at church. Oh, let me, let, me, let, let me go and hear what Pastor Sean says about that. And there's no then practice of it yourself. You're not going to grow. But when you put it together and you start to read the Scripture as you set aside five minutes, let me just read one chapter a day. Or let me listen to a chapter. There's even apps that read the Bible to you as you're driving about. And you, you meditate on that. You think about that verse. And, and, and it, it, it starts to get into your soul. Psalms 19, 14, David understood this. He said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. And finally, the third lesson I would give you, you've got to learn to pray with others. Here's an old joke back when my dad was pastor because we'd had Sunday night services. Remember those days? We don't have them anymore. But we would, at the end, we'd all hold hands and we'd sing a song and then we'd pray together and we'd close with prayer. And usually my dad, who was a pastor, would look for someone in the congregation to pray to close us out. And at that point, as soon as we finished singing, everyone put their head down. Because nobody said, we don't look at pastor, we don't have to pray, right? But here's what I'm telling you. When you get together with other saints, with other believers, and you pray together, you learn from each other. I can't tell you how much this has affected me. Come to our men's Bible study on Friday morning, 8 a.m. at Panera Bread. We sit in the back. We start with prayer. Sometimes I want to pray for what's going on in this world, and then they teach me how to pray a different way that makes more sense. Right? We get together, we pray. Jesus taught us, he said, don't use meaningless repetition when praying, but instead pray in this way. And he gave us this great prayer. Remember this? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. You say, well, that's the Lord's Prayer. No, that's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the model prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. When he was teaching his disciples to pray, guess how his disciples learned to pray? By watching Jesus. And he says, here's a great model prayer for you to use. Now we just use meaningless repetition, which he told us not to do. We just say the prayer. We all know it. We can even sing it in a song. 
Our Father. No! It's a model prayer. And when we learn through this, we come together, we can instruct it, we follow examples, and we learn together. And some people, let's just be honest, have been Christians a lot longer than us, and they know how to talk to God a little bit better than us. It's okay, but we get together and we learn to pray together. And praying regularly with others has started great movements of God. Look at every revival. If you don't have a group, first of all, this is a good place to start. Sunday. But try to find a small group. You can find one of the tent in the back. And they're cold right now, so go talk to them. All right, Maybe I think they just moved it inside because they're so cold. Find them. They'll give you one. There's ones for ladies. There's ones for men. Or just find someone in this church that maybe around your same age, you're like, could you just help me pray? If they say no, we'll find someone for you. Email us. We learn to pray by doing those three things. Pray, meditate on Scripture, and pray with others. I can't stress how much this will change your prayer life. If knowing prayer is powerful, it will change the world. You tired of what's going on? You sick and tired of what's happening in your life and your circumstances and in this world? We gotta get back to prayer. Verse 13 and 14. I love what happens next, and we're finished here after we read this because it's pretty funny. Peter then goes to the house and he knocked on the door of the gate. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate. <laughs> but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the front of the gate. Hey, Peter's here! And they said to her, you're out of your mind. They kept, but she kept insisting, no, it was, the, it was so. And they kept saying, it's an angel. I love this, because not only do we struggle with prayer, but so did the first church. <laughs> they didn't believe, they were praying for Peter to be saved. And when Peter shows up, they're like, can't be possible, Right? It just shows us that this is real, okay? This isn't like a made-up story like, oh, the church had everything perfect, right? It shows us that the church was flawed. They're praying for this sack thing to happen, and when it actually happens, they're like, nah, it's impossible. <laughs> but Peter continued knocking. Here's Peter. Just let me in. It's getting cold out here. And they opened the door, and they saw him, and they were amazed. When's the last time you were amazed by God? Motioning them with his hand to be silent. No, no, keep it down. They're like, oh, shh, they're going to find me. He described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Amazing story. John 14, 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What we learn here from the church, that God does answer prayers offered up for his glory and his will by faith in the name of Jesus and when we pray with persistence. Now the question here for you as we close, do you believe God will answer your prayers? Do you believe in the power of prayer? Are you encouraged today at least try it? If you don't, then why ever pray in the first place? But if you pray, if you ever have offered up a prayer to God, you have some sort of faith already in your life. Andrew Murray said it this way, if you ask and receive not, we must consider the possibility that there's something amiss or wanting in our prayer. What does that mean? See, we have to look, let me say it this way, we have to learn to look at our lives and evaluate our prayer life. And if we pray and feel that God's not answering our prayers as 
we're encouraged to pray and we're told he will bless us, asking you'll find, and he doesn't answer, then we need to examine our prayer life. Something's amiss. That's what Andrew Murray's saying. It may be that God has indeed answered your prayer, but not in the way that's obvious to us. It's possible that nothing amiss in your praying, but we haven't yet seen the answer yet because God intends for us to persevere in that prayer. He wants us to continue to pray as the parable of the widow who keeps coming to the master. He's saying as the widow kept coming, finally the master gave her what she wanted. He wants us to be persistent. So if there is that loved one that you continue to pray to come back to God or to give their life to God, pray. He's put that on your heart. It could be that we're asking for things that are outside His will, though, couldn't it? Things that won't glorify God. And James tells us, don't pray with selfish motives. Maybe we're praying with blatant sin in our life, and God's saying, hey, you need to get rid of that. I have to apologize if you heard this analogy before, because I've used it several times, but it's easy to remember, and it makes sense because it's true. And here's what I have always taught you about prayer. I think God answers the prayer in one of four ways. If your request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If your life is wrong, God says grow. And when everything's right, God says go. Charles Spurgeon said it best with this statement. I can't imagine anyone of you tantalizing your child by exciting in him a desire that you did not intend to gratify it were a very ungenerous thing to offer alms to the poor, and then when they hold out their hand for it, mock their poverty with denial. If were a cruel addition, addition to the miseries of the sick, if they were taken to the hospital and they are left to die untended and uncared for, when God leads you to pray, He means you to receive. Hmm. That amazing Father. And when he calls us to pray, he wants you to receive. You know, we've always said it's more blessed to give than to receive, but we can't have to receive too, don't we? And it's very nice to receive. And so I believe we've got to come to the conclusion today that God answers prayers. And he gave us this beautiful illustration in the church in Acts 12, a great reminder to us that the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. Ephesians 6.18 will end with this. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on alert with perseverance and petition to the saints. So how about you? I'm going to answer this challenge to pray. Maybe you just need to answer the challenge to invite Jesus into your life so you have a good Father who wants to bless you. But will you first start with that, and then if you are a child, will you answer this challenge to pray more? by just praying, trying to meditate on Scripture this week, and make some time to pray with others. With that in mind, let's close with prayer. Lord, thank you for this amazing gift of prayer. I pray, Lord, you'll teach us to pray. And I pray, Lord, as this church, we will become a praying church. I know, Lord, I have struggled with this, and I have not led well in this area. And I ask for your forgiveness there, Lord, because, Lord, there's many things this church can do for you. 
We try to do it in our own power without first going to you in prayer. And I pray, Lord, we stop that and we start going to the Lord in prayer. Taking every request. And if it's not in your will, change it, Lord. Let it always be for your glory. In Jesus' name, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, with perseverance persistence.